Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. This episode is brought to you by Helper. Are you in search for the perfect health insurance? Well, look no farther because they are the ultimate platform that revolutionizes the way that you find, enroll, and manage your health coverage. HealthBird offers an innovative solution that is tailored just for you. They have a lightning-fast search engine that you can effortlessly compare health insurance quotes in milliseconds. There's no more tedious hours of browsing endless websites or spending hours on the phone with insurance agents. They offer a user-friendly app available on iOS and Android, which puts the power of managing your health insurance right at your fingertips. So again, you know, don't let the complexity of health insurance overwhelm you. Join HealthBird community and experience a seamless, intuitive platform that puts you in control. So get a quote today at healthbird.com forward slash dealmakers. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So today's a interview, I gotta tell you, you know, I'm really excited. You know, it's a it's an entrepreneur that has built it, has done it multiple times, you know, with success. And I find that uh, his journey is quite inspiring. And I'm sure that you're gonna find, you know, uh, find it the same way, you know, building, scaling, financing, all of that good stuff that we like to hear. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Tomas Surugi. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Alejandro. So originally born there in Brazil. So give us a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up? All right. Uh, born and raised in Sao Paulo. Used to uh, play sports, um, competitive sports, swimming, uh, soccer as a Brazilian. And um, and later on, um, cycling. Um, and uh, always liked the competition, but also always liked to uh, change things. Um, and uh, so I've always been challenging myself uh, and trying to change uh, dysfunctions in uh, Brazil. There's there's lots to be done in Brazil, um, and uh, so it was a, a good combination, um, a place full of opportunities and uh, lots of problems to be solved. So in that case, how was, you know, for example, swimming? I know that you were quite competitive, you know, when it came to sports. You know, how do you think that that has shaped who you are, you know, who you are today? I, I've seen it a lot, you know, founders that used to do, you know, back when they were growing up a, a sport, you know, competitively and, and how well that has served them when it comes to leadership. I think that there's a lot to learn, you know, in sports when it comes to leadership. Yeah, well, it's tricky. Some sports are very individual. Others are collective. I think the collective sports may build a better leader. Uh, I used to swim, so swimming is very, it's a lonely sport. Um, and um, once you jump on the water, you've got to give your best. Uh, and uh, you basically explode and try to swim as fast as possible um, and uh, at, the, at the lowest time possible. So what, when you do that for a long time, period of time, uh, it basically transforms you. So everything that I did was basically trying to, to sprint through uh, walls and trying to accomplish uh, high performance uh, as soon as possible. Uh, in one way, that helps uh, entrepreneurs. Uh, on another way, 
it's really hard to uh, work collectively. Uh, and I had to um, develop new muscles and a level of conscien consciousness that I didn't have before so that I could function well uh, with the team, uh, so that I could help other people uh, succeed and achieve high performance. That was quite interesting. And, and it's funny because, you know, there, there's an interesting thing. Um, when we're uh, beginning things, it's very easy to get distracted with competition or other startups. Uh, if you don't have a strong vision and awareness of what you want to do and how we'll get there, it's quite easy to get anxious. So when you swim, you basically you jump on the water. There's six other people alongside you, and you have to swim as fast as possible. There's no time to look to the sides and try to measure if the uh, if the other if the other swimmers are behind or uh, in front of you. You basically swim and give your best. So uh, that helped us a lot, actually, to get us away from distractions and from the market and other startups and competition. Just, you know, focus on what we have to do on our goal uh, and work as fast as possible so that we can uh, try to get there faster. So that actually has helped us a lot. And the other thing is that I used to swim and there's, uh, this is quite interesting. And th there was a, another swimmer that every time that I met him, he beat me. So every time I was swimming, uh, I was practicing, I was thinking about him. And when I wasn't uh, in the water, I was thinking he would be training and he would beat me. So that forced me to always be training and always, it gave me a lot of focus. So um, in, in, in a, you know, when you build a company, it's just like that. If you're not giving your max, someone somewhere will do it. So, uh, so uh, you have to make sure you do something you like, you're passionate about, and uh, there's a huge, that uh, you should find a purpose behind it. Otherwise, you, you, you won't be training and working as hard as you have to, to uh, break through with a new product. Now, for you, after, you know, you graduated, I mean, you, you studied the math, you know, pretty much, you know, you were really interested in the macro economy and the financial markets, and you became a trader. But eventually, you know, you decide that, that you decided that it was time to perhaps, you know, pack up the bags, go to Chicago and do your master's degree. And that's the time where you started to ask yourself, you know, perhaps why governments were so inefficient. So walk us through, you know, what was going through your mind at this point? What were some of those questions that you were asking yourself and how did that eventually, you know, lead to um, to what, you know, ended up becoming your first thing, your first company? Obviously, you did a little bit of corporate, you know, like at Budweiser and things like that. But one thing to, led to the next, and you ended up starting your first business. So walk us through the sequence of events all the way up to you becoming an entrepreneur. So Brazil is, uh, used to be the fifth economy in the world, um, but also a very dysfunctional place. So many opportunities and huge market. A good place to start up. Um, and my first job was uh, working with a very famous macroeconomist. That gave me... a. a, a you know, a sense or a vision that there's a, a crisis in Brazil every five years, right? Uh, and uh, if you want to play Brazil, you have to learn how to play it. So next, I uh, I went to uh, work for an investment bank. He recommended me, and I entered as a trainee. Uh, and I and I was basically trading currency and fixed income. And I could see uh, 
how things, how variables behaved when we had macroeconomic crisis. I'm talking about the Asian crisis and uh, when our currency fluctuated massively, and I could see the impact on companies. And uh, I could see that companies that relied heavily on uh, foreign exchange or companies that relied heavily on luxury goods, uh, and those companies basically disappeared in crisis. So that led me to the bottom of the pyramid, low-income people, low-income families, and inelastic demand businesses. So that's how I began forming a hypothesis of how do you play Brazil uh, sustainably and, and successfully if there's a crisis every five years. Uh, so then I began um, really uh, connecting my, my personal view of the world, why the world is so dysfunctional, why things don't function the way they should, why there's so much poverty and inequality, what can I do about it? And governments, when you think about governments and NGOs, uh, they're not solving social problems at scale. So uh, what, so, so what, you know, governments are very ineffective, inefficient. The data is out there. It's not my personal opinion. And, and uh, so what, how can we think differently about solving social problems? How, how can we change society? And I think companies had, could have an important role um, as innovators, as uh, uh, put new products uh, to solve uh, old, old challenges and old pain points in a different way, in a novel way. So, um, so I went to study public policy, and I was very interested in the intersection between the private and the public sector. Uh, could companies solve huge social social problems? Uh, and uh, so that's what I went to study, and uh, I came back, and I wanted to understand how the best companies were run. What was the type of fuel? fuel that was running inside those companies, what type of culture, values, what people were doing, what, what were the best practices uh, for, for success. And that's why I, I, I went to work for ABI, MBF. Uh, I've learned tons. And, uh, and after I left the company, I, I decided to, to try to launch a search fund. Uh, and the, the idea was to acquire a low-income home builder that was taking people out of the favelas and giving them a uh, a, a home. Uh, so basically swapping uh, favelas uh, rents for uh, their own uh, homes. And that was really cool. It was basically building up dignity and, and allowing people to build their families in a much uh, respectful way. So we did it. I called in my previous bosses from MBAV. They joined, we entered the company. IPO the company after 10 months. We we were very lucky. The market timing played in our favor. That was 2007. And uh, it was amazing. We worked our asses off 6 a.m. to 12 p.m. every day for a year. And uh, and then we left the company. Uh, it was great. It felt really good. We, uh, we The company was selling, I believe, 1,000 homes per year. We scaled up to 10,000, 20,000 homes. Um, and so we were impacting more lives. We're taking people out of the favelas, and uh, it was a great outcome. And then after that, um, I basically, I was looking at uh, you know healthcare. I, I come from a family of doctors. Huge problem in elastic demand. Uh, and and I realized I've always been obsessed about performance on a personal level. Uh, and 
uh, my personal life, in my professional life. And, uh, you know, I realized at some point that uh, healthcare used to uh, overpromise and underdeliver. And it was really hard because physicians didn't understand about uh, product uh, engineering uh, data and engineers didn't understand about healthcare. But I had a unique angle. I, I came from a family of doctors, so I thought I, you know, I should take a should take a stab at that. Uh, and uh, huge demand, huge market, uh, a lot of impact, really truly saving people's lives. Uh, and uh, so the you know that was the idea for uh, a primary care operations that provided access to people out of the um, public healthcare system, gave people quick. Uh, assertive, qualified access. So the idea was basically to uh, bring the best healthcare in the world, uh, automate everything uh, to try to make it uh, affordable without uh, losing quality, but actually increasing quality. So we began building clinics and that's how Dr. Consulta began. Hey guys, so pardon the interruption here. So I got to tell you that you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieverson, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of um, a cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com, and we would love to take a look at helping you out. So how do you guys, uh, you know, ended up making money with Dr. Consulta? What was the business model there for the people that are listening to get it? So Dr. Consulta began as a primary care provider, and today we became a, pay, a payer and a, a provider. We have our own health insurance. We also have, with 30,000 members, um, we also have a membership program, and people can also pay out of pocket. Uh, so we have three different models of access, uh, and uh, but this structure works really, really well. Um, and uh, we had to automate clinical decision-making. We automated repetitive tasks, uh, and um, it all happened gradually through the years. Uh, the company became profitable, and uh, it continues to grow. It's currently growing 50% per year uh, in Brazil uh, with very high NPS, above 80, 83. You know, I think we were very lucky uh, because we were extremely persistent 
it wasn't easy. We almost closed Dr. Consulta along the way. Um, we began uh, with one clinic as a scientific experiment, literally. We wanted to understand if we could provide the best quality healthcare for the uh, for the uh, poorest of the country in Sao Paulo. And we also wanted to do it in a building a, an amazing experience. And we had to achieve profitability. So it took us two years to get there. Once we got there, we then began building the company. So we began hiring a management team, technology team, increasing our medical medical care team. And, uh, and then we began opening clinics uh, all over the city. Uh, we grew tremendously. Uh, we grew for five years, six years, 100% per year. And, uh, and then we stalled. Um, we stalled. Um, we had to uh, rethink um, how we were um, providing care and the value that we were providing. So we launched a membership plan and uh, we decided we needed to be profitable. Um, that was 2018. Because we were a healthcare company, we had uh, by that time 3 million patients. And um, if we could reach profitability, then we could explore a different channel and product and taking risk uh, that would uh, enable us to become a, a health insurance. So we made a huge effort uh, and uh, we, we went through the hole and we came out on the other end with muscles we didn't know we had, uh, we could develop and uh, profitably. That was just before COVID. And COVID came in, we had to close all the clinics. We set up a plan to survive for two years without having revenue. And, um, and uh, we came out of COVID uh, stronger, very, very rough ride. And uh, seeing more patients than before COVID, but with half of the clinics, with much more technology. And then finally, we had the chance to take the next strategic step and become a, a health insurance. Uh, which we did in 2021, and basically, you know, health insurance um, was a very, um, very um, assertive move because people's dream is to have health insurance. Uh, so, uh, always serving the patient, always serving the doctor, understanding what they want and how can we do it in a viable way. Uh, that's what drove us through the years. Um, and, uh, so finally today, um, we, uh, were in a very interesting position, uh, growing strongly and, uh, still serving lots of patients. Now, obviously you guys have raised quite a bit of money, you know, for this business. How much money have you guys raised for Dr. Consulta? Not mistaken, about $170 million to date. That's incredible. That's incredible. And how do you go about raising that amount, you know, out of Brazil? You know, if you were in Silicon Valley, I would be like, okay. But I mean, in Brazil, that's a lot of money for a company like this. Yeah, it was really hard in the beginning. I think we've been always very, very transparent. And um, we've always been truly excited about building a massive business, but also truly focused on patient pain points and doctor's pain points. 
and how to solve it. Uh, and I think the uh, investors that saw the opportunity to improve Brazil also saw the how we should play, how we could play Brazil in a sustainable way. Uh, and um, and they got excited with our purpose and the way we wanted to do things. So uh, you know, just uh, if you get a couple high quality investors. At the beginning, if you set up a great team, surround yourselves with amazing brains, uh, and deliver results, everything else happens. No kidding. Now, in, in, in your case, you know, after almost a decade, you know, being at the helm of the company and, and leading the way, then all of a sudden you decide that it's time to step up eh, as the chairman of the business. So what was that thing? That thinking, you know, that thought process, you know, of handing over the reins and, and what drove that? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, when I was, um, when I was in Chicago, uh, I read many cases about entrepreneurs that were uh, substituted by uh, professional CEOs because they didn't have the ability or the skills or the competencies required for the new phase of the company. And um, and I always knew that what were my strengths and my weaknesses, and I've always put the company above my personal interests. The same way um, I want to help other Brazilians that didn't have the opportunities I had, and uh, build a business that is massive but also impactful. Uh, you have to put the company above your interests, and I'm completely incented to do that because economically, if the company does well. I'm going to be better off. So it's not so so you know egos egos you got to have a low ego. We all have egos and uh but the short story is I've always knew I was better at strategy, technology, vision and I wasn't very suited to run operations and search for incremental gains day after day. Uh I'm much more, I prefer to move fast and test and iterate than to uh, be precise about specific details of operations. So five years actually before I, 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 I did the, uh, I brought in uh, a CEO, uh, I actually invited him to join the company as an investor. I brought him to the board. I thought he had a very interesting experience with B2B. And I knew we were gonna enter B2B at some point. And I told him, in three years you're gonna you're gonna have my place, you run operations, I'll focus on the strategic side, and uh and that's what I think is best for the company. And two years before I told uh you know, I told uh, you know, in a very uh direct and objective manner, I, I wasn't suited to run a network of clinics. I didn't think I could I would learn it if it was required because investors trusted myself and I felt responsible so I would learn uh, but I didn't think it was the best move if we had someone better than myself from the clinics so uh, so that's what we did we did the uh, succession and um, and uh, I went to uh, to work alongside my investors on the board uh, in a different capacity to uh, help the company continue to achieve its objectives so personally, I think my goal 
is really to be uh, useless for my team. Uh, I think that's uh, it's impossible to reach. Uh, but if you you know you never get there. But if you if you give yourself that objective, it 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 forces you to behave in a certain way and equip your team and empower them and help them be better. And and to do that, you really have to be at your best. So there's a sequence of implications on your personal and professional life that are all connected. And I really like that. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, I'll have the same economic incentive, uh, but I really like to see people flourish and succeed. And I love to do that alongside them. So what really gets me going is to build amazing things with amazing people better than myself, to learn with them, people that I admire, things that will impact society in a positive way, and if possible, make money along the way. So money is not my top priority. It's probably fourth or fifth on the on the line. But uh, So that's how I am. That's how I think. And I was a pretty natural and uh, super well succeeded movement we've made yeah no kidding especially doing doing it you know so so ahead of time now you were talking about people how how many people that say dr consulta have today around three thousand people that's absolutely incredible you know incredible what you've built i believe you know top top line you know it's saying about a hundred million and, and profitable the company. So really, really incredible journey. Uh, and, and then also, you know, like the, the, I'm just like, like amazed at the fact that you were able to really see what you were good at and what you were not good at. Even, even though, you know, if you were able to educate yourself, I mean, having that foresight to bring someone else with so much time. No? Now, on your end, you know, you are obviously, you know, still involved with Dr. Consulta and, and especially at a board level, providing strategy and helping out the, the management on the execution. But, but you're not stopping. You know, you are right now, you're cooking something that is uh, a little bit still, you know, under wraps, you know, and we can't uh, really talk about it much. But what can we talk about? You know, what you have right now incubating to us? Well, I'm working on a project, let's call it a scientific experiment, with a small group of extremely talented engineers and scientists. Um, it's a completely different play from Dr. Consulta, but is it's a it's a it's something that we all believe in uh and uh and um uh also in healthcare and data. Um, healthcare is very different today. There are new possibilities uh, in engineering, uh, product, uh, data modeling. Uh, there are new new resources, not only to um, build better products, but also to build way more efficient companies. Uh, talk about uh, LLM models and so on and so forth. Uh, and uh, in a way that is way better for users. So uh, we're running some experiments, uh, and uh, let's see what the, where that gets us. That's amazing. And uh, and I guess why going at it, you know, this way, where you're more like incubating it under wraps, like giving it the love that it needs before going to market. You know, instead of 
maybe just going at it right away. Like maybe, you know, you did with something like uh, Dr. Consulta or with other projects that you have, you know, uh, seen or been involved with. Well, although I've been uh, 10 years in healthcare, healthcare is so complex and, 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 uh, and, uh, and the value chain is, is every step of the, every piece of the value chain is completely different. So, uh, so uh, I think it's, uh, I don't know everything. The team don't know everything. What we know is that we have to develop and design with users. So that's what we're doing. So they're telling us what we need to build. Uh, so it's a different mindset and uh, something that I believe in. So, uh, so that's why we're running small experiments. And if it works, um, then, then I think we won't have a problem to, uh, to, um, you know, surround ourselves with more amazing brains and, and capital. That's amazing. I mean, is there any idea on when maybe the, the people that are listening may be able to hear, you know, a little bit more about it or maybe like a release or, or anything that, uh, that you guys have in mind? No. At this point, we don't know. We're basically running experiments, progressing, and um, I don't know, maybe end of the year. <laughs> Let's see. It will depend on how well we work. I'm sure everyone is going to keep an eye out. So, so Thomas, let me let me bring you back in time. Let me put you into a time machine, and let me bring you back in time. Let me bring you back to that moment that you were in Chicago, uh, and now you were, uh, you know, in those classrooms, you know, learning about business, learning about case studies, perhaps you know, like putting your your final paper, you know, on on a, on a business that you were thinking about building, or you know, whatever you know, those MBA programs, you know, they they have you go through. And let's say you had the opportunity of just grabbing a chair and sitting next to that younger Tomas. And let's say you had the opportunity of whispering at the ear of that younger Tomas one piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be and why? Do you know what you know now? If you want to succeed with something, you have to sacrifice other things. You have to uh, sacrifice your family. You have to sacrifice your personal interests. And that's how committed you need to be. If you don't sacrifice your personal and other interests, you're going to sacrifice your project, your company. So there's no easy way. Just uh, make the right choices, communicate well, align expectations, and go for it. I love it. So, Tomas, for the people that are listening that would love to reach out and say hi, what is the best way for them to do so? Uh, I'll leave. Uh, I have a LinkedIn page, uh, and uh, so it's probably the easiest way to contact me. Wonderful. Well, easy enough. Well, Tomas, thank you so much for being on the DealMaker Show. It has been an honor to have you with us. Thanks, Alejandro. Enjoyed it. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.